Lars Mittank, a compassionate and easygoing young man, was a hardworking engineer and family man of Itzeho, Germany. His free-spirited personality and love of all things traveling was cut short by an unexplainable, unsolved disappearance in July of 2014, leaving all who knew him around northern Germany and the entire of the world at large grasping for answers in a sea of evidence that drowned us all in doubt. As a hope to provide more substantial reasoning built upon observable evidence and situational analysis, this is an examination of Lars Mittank's unsettling disappearance at the Varna Airport in Bulgaria and the mysterious CCTV footage that was released soon after. This is Cold Case Detective. Lars Mittank was born on February 19, 1986, near Berlin, Germany. From Berlin, a young Lars and his parents moved to Marne, where his mother, Sandra, and her husband had resided alongside their families for decades. Not long after, his family moved to Itzehoe, Germany, the capital of the Steinberg district in northern Germany. Itzehoe is a smaller town compared to major cities around North Central Europe, featuring a population of just 31,000 as of 2019. It is a quiet place throughout most of the year, aside from the first weekend in August, when commuters from the nearby Wacken Open Air, a heavy metal music festival held in Wacken, Germany, use Itzehoe shuttles for transportation. Overall, the town has a gentle aura that made raising a small family quite the easy endeavor for the Mittank couple. Thus, as Lars navigated childhood, he found it easy to make friends and always got along well with his classmates. He fit right into the soft-spoken, low-key nature of his fellow Itzehoe community and found much social and educational success because of it. Lars loved outdoor activities and, as a teenager, found a love for fishing and diving expeditions. He would often go on weekend excursions with his school friends, sometimes even vacationing outside of Germany to see what other European countries had to offer. Without a doubt though, Lars's favorite pastime was cheering on his favorite football club, the hometown SV Werder Bremen Green Whites. Werder Bremen competes in the top tier of the German football league system, and while they aren't considered powerhouses of their league in the 21st century, Lars bled their colors and supported them nonetheless. He didn't care about championships and honors. He simply devoted himself to his favorite team and carried that fiery spirit wherever he went. When Lars wasn't attending Werder Bremen matches with his friends or chasing adventures around Itzehoe, he was diving deep into his textbooks and studying to become an engineer. Forgoing the traditional four-year university course, Lars went the route of a specific trade, taking extra coursework and advanced training classes to become a power plant operator at a coal-fired power plant. Lars excelled beyond expectation, and after receiving top marks in all of his courses, 
he found employment at the Wilhelmshaven power plant. This new job led Lars 150 kilometers away from his family and friends back home in Itzehoe and Marne, but he made sure never to forget them and kept in tight communication with everyone, a symbol of his devotion and love for those around him. That familial sacrifice was seen most drastically in 2012, when Lars's father suffered a stroke and needed special care moving forwards. Lars, living near Wilmshaven, would go home on weekends between work shifts to help Sandra take care of his father. While he could have been taking additional trips or hanging out with his friends, he chose nursing his father back to full health instead. He was always thinking of others, no matter what life threw at him. Outside of his ailing father, Lars's life was otherwise smooth sailing for two years following the stroke. In 2014, he continued his sporting ventures and enjoyed a healthy relationship with his girlfriend of several years. Everything appeared to be going as planned. That is until one of his many vacations took a turn for the worse. And after a bizarre set of events on the coast of Bulgaria, Lars disappeared, never to be seen or heard from again. Now let's turn to the timeline of events that led up to Lars's disappearance. In the early summer months of 2014, Lars Mitank decides he needs a vacation from the constant stress of balancing work and tending to his father. He and five friends, three from childhood and two from school, decide to plan a trip to Varna, Bulgaria, a coastal city along the Black Sea. It's not the normal type of vacation for Lars, but his friend's crew has an open reservation and Lars jumps on board the opportunity. On June 30th, later that season, Lars and his friends fly to Varna and check into Hotel Viva, a four-star lodge along the Golden Sands beaches on the Bulgaria Riviera. Over the next few days of the vacation, Lars breaks from his group of friends to play football with a group of high school graduates on the beach. His friends all stay behind at Hotel Viva to eat by the pool and party in their rooms, but Lars likes the physical activity and is considered a pleasant guy by the other beach footballers. At 11 p.m. on July 3rd, the fourth day of the vacation, Lars reconvenes with his five friends and they all attend the mystery of Golden Sands Bar to watch Costa Rica and the Netherlands in their World Cup quarterfinals match. Throughout the night and into the early morning hours of July 4th, Lars and his friends exchange flags of their home football clubs with others around the bar. Lars wears his Werder Bremen jersey proudly like usual, and with a few drinks in both he and his friends, the flag trading with other patrons in the bar upsets a group of Bavarian high school graduates. These young men start an argument with Lars, whether it's for his hometown jersey or ornery antics with the World Cup flags is unknown, but Lars and his friends quell their bickering and end the night on a positive note. Another few hours pass, and at 4am on July 4th, Lars and his five friends are the last patrons to leave the mystery of Golden Sands Bar. Just after 4am, two of Lars's friends, Tim and Paul, suggest the crew stop at a nearby McDonald's for food. Lars declines the offer, having little appetite for fast food and considering his athletic diet for sports and nutrition. He breaks off from the rest of his friends and starts the one kilometer trek back to the hotel. However, not long after leaving the group, 
Lars is attacked and beaten by a gang of either Russians or Bulgarians. He escapes without any major injuries, except for a torn eardrum due to a blow to the left side of the head, and returns to Hotel Viva to sleep it off. After a few hours of rest, Lars wakes at noon on July 4th and immediately phones his girlfriend. He tells her of how he believes that the gang that attacked him was hired by the FC Bayern Munich fans that argued with him at the Golden Sands Bar, remembering how they told him the night before that hiring someone to beat someone else up for money isn't that difficult in Bulgaria. Lars's girlfriend pleads with him to get his ear checked out by a doctor, but Lars says he doesn't think there would be a medical office open on the weekend. He goes on to tell his girlfriend he hopes his ear will heal naturally, and ends the conversation. That same evening, Lars rejoins his friends once more for a night of celebration and drinking in town. No further incidents occur, and everyone has a great time. The same good fortune continues over the weekend on both July 5th and 6th, as Lars and the crew relax at their hotel and the vacation winds down to an end. On July 7th, just before 12 p.m., Lars checks out of the hotel but still can't shake the pain he has in his left ear from the fight. He realizes flying with a hurt ear could damage his hearing and slow him down at his job, so he hails a cab with one of his friends and visits a doctor's office. Between 12 and 1 p.m., Lars is checked out by a practitioner who diagnoses him with a ruptured eardrum and tells Lars he cannot fly in his current state. Instead, the doctor refers Lars to the St. Anna Hospital in Varna for additional assistance. Before going to the hospital, however, Lars returns to Hotel Viva and rendezvous with his friends later that afternoon at 5 p.m. Lars implores everyone to fly home without him, saying he'll find a way back to Germany after treatment via travel insurance. A few hours later, at around 8 p.m., a shuttle bus picks up Lars's five friends from Hotel Viva and takes them to the airport. Lars waves goodbye and climbs into a separate cab of his own that transports him to St. Anna Hospital. A mere 40 minutes pass by before Lars is examined by an ear, nose, and throat specialist in St. Anna at 8.40 p.m. However, in a strange twist, there is a communication debacle between the ENT specialist and Lars. Thus, Lars is never admitted to St. Anna, but does receive a prescription for 500 milligrams of Cefprozil, a common antibiotic used for ear infections. At 9.41 p.m., Lars exits St. Anna and finds the same cab that dropped him off still parked outside the hospital's entrance. Lars climbs inside and asks the driver to take him to the nearest pharmacy. The pharmacy in question isn't carrying enough Cefprozil tablets to fulfill Lars' prescription, and so he asks the cab driver to take him to a second pharmacy. At 10.05 p.m., Lars finally receives his full order of Cefprozil and asks the cab driver to take him to one final destination, a cheap hotel. The cab driver informs Lars that due to the popular summer season, almost all of the hotels in the area would be booked. However, he knows of one possibility and drives Lars to the Hotel Kalavana, a small lodge in a poorer area of the city. Five minutes later, at 10.10 p.m., Lars arrives at Hotel Color and pays his cab driver with a hefty tip. He thinks about grabbing water at the convenience store across the street, but notices a few men dressed in dark clothing milling about and thinks better of it. Instead, Lars checks in at the front desk of Hotel Color 
and pays for his room with a credit card. Between this time and 11 p.m., Lars ventures down to the hotel bar and fills up on water there, both to quench his thirst and so he can take these Cefrazil tablets. Just after 11, Lars's behavior begins to change and he calls his mother, Sandra, from his cheap cell phone. Because he left his new smartphone back home in Germany, his lesser phone needed minutes charged to it to make outgoing calls. Lars asks Sandra to put money towards the phone minutes, to which she agrees. This is where Lars finally informs his mother about the weekend's events. He tells her about the argument in the Golden Sands bar, the fight with the soccer fans, the ruptured eardrum, and how the ENT doctor mocked him and refused to speak to him in English, laughing him out of St. Anna. Sandra is understandably perturbed about her son's stories, but she tells him she'll file a claim with foreign health insurance to secure a patient transport back to his home in Germany. A few minutes pass by and Sandra calls Lars back. She tells him about the health insurance claim failing, to which Lars responds with more cryptic behavior. He tells Sandra that he needs to leave because there is something off about hotel color. He goes on to ask Sandra to cancel his credit cards because apparently the front desk clerk had copied his credit card upon check-in and that bothered him as he had never witnessed that process at a hotel before. Sandra double checks with the bank to make sure she can cancel the cards and unblock them later, but the bank assistant tells her it's not possible. Nevertheless, Lars pleads with his mother to cancel them anyway, claiming to have enough cash on hand. Another couple of minutes go by and Sandra books Lars a bus out of Varna for the following night at 11.30 p.m. on July 8th. She implores her son to get a good amount of sleep and rest up for the next day's journey. Before the clock can strike midnight, however, Lars calls Sandra once again, this time more paranoid than before. He goes on about something being wrong with the hotel, but doesn't go into further detail, acting as if his room was wiretapped and someone is recording his every move. Sandra tries to comfort her son, but Lars ends the call, saying he needs to get out of there. Sometime between 2.30 and 3 a.m., Lars calls Sandra once more, whispering to her that he is being followed by four men who want to kill him. Lars sounds more frightened than ever before, but hangs up soon after calling. At 3.06 a.m., Lars texts Sandra, asking her what, quote, Sefzil 500 is. He repeats the text again at 3.15, apparently confused by his Sefprazil tablets. At this point, Sandra knows the situation is more dire than originally thought, and books Lars a flight out of Varna Airport for 4.20 p.m. later that day on July 8th. A couple of hours later, at around 5 a.m., Lars is spotted waving at a new cab driver on the side of the road. The driver picks Lars up and takes him to Varna Airport. The other female passenger in the cab reports Lars' pupils to be severely dilated. After arriving at the airport later that morning, Lars meets a man inside of the terminal who explains to him how to send and receive money through the Western Union banking system. Lars calls his mother again, careful not to burn through his cell phone's battery and ask her to send him money via Western Union. Sandra is confused as neither she nor Lars has ever used it before, but she agrees to send him 500 euros per his request. Sandra also gives Lars the information regarding his flight that evening, but also asks him to check in with the airport's medical office to make sure he is safe to fly. 
In the event that the doctor suggests otherwise, Sandra also gives Lars the info for the bus tickets she bought him on the previous night as well. Lars makes a comment that they won't let him fly or drive, and that he looks disheveled from hiding around earlier that night. Sandra suggests cleaning up in the bathroom and calling back when he has new information. A few minutes later, after setting up the Western Union transaction, Sandra calls Lars again. But after hearing only an unintelligible whisper from Lars, the call shuts off. This is the last point of contact Sandra makes with her son. She attempts to call again, but Lars never answers. At around 9am, Lars finally makes it to the airport's medical clinic and meets with a Dr. Costao. Over the next 42 minutes, Dr. Costao studies Lars's passport, gives him medicinal eardrops, and clears him with a normal temperature of 37.2 degrees Celsius. Dr. Costao attempts to give him more pills as well, but Lars refuses. Regardless, Dr. Costao lets Lars know he is healthy enough to fly. He'll just need to sign a waiver. Lars signs this waiver and then asks to use the restroom, whispering under his breath about coming right back. It is at this time, around 10 a.m. on Monday, July 8th, 2014, Lars bolts from the medical clinic, flees the terminal, and runs away from the airport. He climbs a fence, escapes into an adjacent meadow, and disappears into a sunflower field along Bulgarian Highway A2. This is the last confirmed sighting of Lars Mitank. Over the next couple of hours, Sandra Mitank attempts to locate her son after losing all communication with him. She calls the honorary consulate in Varna and speaks to Ms. Mitrova at 11 a.m., informing her of the situation. An hour later at 12 p.m., Ms. Mitrova returns Sandra's call and informs her of Lars's frantic escape from the airport. She says that Lars left all of his belongings behind and hasn't been seen since. The following day, on Tuesday, July 9th, a missing persons report is filed on behalf of Lars Mitank in Germany. The Wilmshaven power plant hires a private detective and lawyer based out of Varna, and the investigation into Lars's bizarre disappearance begins. Nearly seven years later, despite countless search and rescue operations and a few potential sightings, Lars Mitank is still missing. His family and friends scouring Europe for any remaining clues, despite the time past, without any credible evidence coming to the surface. Not long after the missing persons report was filed, Bulgarian officials brought in Sandra Mitank to show her CCTV footage recorded at Varna Airport the morning Lars arrived and subsequently ran out just prior to vanishing. Some of these clips were eventually released to the public as well. As in all cases regarding missing people, security footage is our best tool to tracing their final steps and getting a best glance at their situation. However, these clips may also be distressing for some viewers and thus discretion is advised. We will show you the footage now.
In the footage, we see Lars recorded walking through the airport terminal with his luggage under normal circumstances. He looks as if he's simply walking from point A to point B. However, after he looks over his shoulder and enters the CCTV's blind spot, the tape cuts to a later point in which Lars sprints back in the opposite direction without luggage and exits the terminal altogether. Then, outdoor cameras capture Lars completely abandoning the airport property itself, supposedly scaling the fence. In these clips, we don't see anyone explicitly tailing or following Lars, or really any suspicious figures at all. What Lars is running from isn't concrete, and the videos only add to the mystery. They do confirm that Lars was quite obviously troubled, and whatever he was dealing with during those final few days in Varna wasn't just real, but very severe too. The only anomaly reported about the CCTV clips is that Sandra Mitank was actually shown different footage to what the public has access to. In the interviews following the investigation, Sandra told reporters that she saw additional security footage of Lars outside the airport. In these clips, one can see Lars navigate around two police cars as if he was avoiding capture. Sandra went on to say that, judging from these clips, Lars was acting in a stable frame of mind and was operating with a plan. She said his actions were stealthy, moving behind buses and piles of sand before running towards the fence. Again, we do not have access to this portion of the CCTV files, but if Sandra and other investigators do have this information available to them, it does put a different perspective on Lars's activity. It does not answer the question why, but it does give us some information in a case with precious little. Now let's turn to the most prominent theories in answering the question of Lars Mittank's unsolved disappearance. When dissecting the strange case of Lars Mittank, many people wonder if Lars wasn't imagining the supposed men following him in the final hours of his movements around Varna, but that the four men who assaulted him on July 4th were indeed stalking him as he finished up his vacation. The big question, however, is why? Why would these men continue to follow Lars even after inflicting severe pain on him and letting him go? Some people wonder if Lars had actually escaped the initial first fight, had said something to the four gangsters as he ran off, and thus coaxed them into further retribution. It would explain why Lars only had a ruptured eardrum and nothing more permanent, and also why he'd be worried about the four men finding him in the first place, because he said something he regretted and felt like it put his life at even greater risk. The four men would have then eventually found him, waited for his friends to leave, and then followed him to the airport, where they met him in the bathroom after his pre-flight checkup. At first, this may sound like a plausible theory, but it doesn't make much sense when you consider Lars's actions following the scuffle. He still went out with his friends the next couple of nights after July 4th, and would have put himself in the public's eye where the gangsters could find him. Sure, maybe he felt protected in a group of people, but he would know that the gangsters could just follow him until he was alone. In addition, no one besides Lars ever reported seeing suspicious men follow him or around him after July 4th. In fact, even Lars himself was acting usual up until his friends flew back to Germany. 
Outside of not eating much, which can be linked to the incredible heat, Lars was being Lars. There was no reason to think he was being stalked by a nefarious crew of criminals. So, if Lars wasn't running from a gang of hired Bulgarians, what could he have been paranoid about? There are those who believe Lars was actually in cahoots with a group of men, or part of a larger criminal organization helping them to peddle drugs. It is possible that if Lars was dealing narcotics, it was against his own will and not necessarily by his design. These theories suggest that after Lars was roughed up by the four Bulgarians on the way back to the hotel on July 4th, they gave him a proposition, help them with their drug operation or suffer worse consequences than a busted eardrum. Not having much of a choice, Lars agreed to the deal and went back to Hotel Viva under the pretense that he had simply been beaten up a little by the Bulgarians after his confrontation at the Golden Sands Bar and that it was no big deal. This would explain why Lars was hesitant to go to the doctors as suggested by his girlfriend, because he didn't want to alert anyone else of the situation or bring suspicion upon his motives. Lars then acted like his usual self for the remainder of the vacation and used his ear as an excuse not to travel home with his friends. It was after his friends left and he realized he was alone and stuck in a horrible situation that Lars felt overwhelmed. Hence the conversations with his mother on the phone and his paranoia regarding his credit cards. Maybe the night he was supposed to drop off the alleged narcotics was the night he spent at the Hotel Color and was captured by the hotel's CCTV meandering aimlessly in the lobby, almost as if he were distressed. People also like to point out that Lars was using the same cab driver the night of July 7th and suggests that he had maybe been sent by the Bulgarians to escort Lars or keep an eye on him as he made the drop for whatever organization had threatened him. The most intriguing point to the drug cartel theory is the revelation made by reports of the airport CCTV footage, capturing Lars avoiding detection by police as he disguised himself running away from the terminal. It's possible that the airport itself was a drop point, and after Lars fulfilled his part of the plan, he took off into the distance, careful not to be arrested, fearful that he was a fugitive of the law. It would explain Lars's bizarre moves and give reason as to why someone would completely change their personality and behavior in the blink of an eye. However, if Lars did enter some sort of pact with Bulgarian drug peddlers, there isn't very much physical proof outside of circumstance. Lars's suitcase and luggage were recovered at Varna Airport and there were no illegal substances or any other drugs amongst his personal artifacts. Not only that, but the question must be asked, if Lars was forced to get involved with the drug trade at the request of a few street gangsters, why wouldn't he just tell the police? He'd have the busted eardrum as proof of coercion, as well as witnesses who saw the confrontation with the Bavarian football fans at the Golden Sands Bar and heard their verbal threats about hiring muscle to assault Lars himself. It is not as if no one would believe him, the area he wound up in on July 7th was a poorer section of Varna and well known for both human trafficking and higher crime rates. It's within the realm of possibility that Lars ran into trouble, but also totally plausible that law enforcement would be sympathetic to his situation and get him back to Germany safely. There are those who wonder if Lars wasn't threatened to do this, but rather got in on a drug transaction for the money 
pretending not to want McDonald's on July 4th, when in reality he was meeting up with people in a pre-planned event. The problem with this line of thinking is Lars had never engaged in criminal matters before, and it seems unlikely he would put his steady job and flourishing relationship in jeopardy, all for an incredibly risky crime hundreds of miles from home. Lars didn't know anyone in Varna, nor did he speak either Bulgarian or Russian. He never showed signs of living a double life, and breaking bad on a random summer night during a relaxing vacation doesn't make sense. So if Lars wasn't running from gangsters or involved in a drug ring, was there anyone else who could have been responsible for scaring Lars away? One suspect a few theorists have pointed out is the doctor who treated Lars at the Varna airport right before he disappeared, Dr. Costau. Dr. Costau changed his statements over the course of the initial investigation and made interesting claims about who exactly was in that examination room when Lars ran out. Costau's first testimony claimed that a man in an airport uniform unexpectedly entered the office while Lars was being treated, which spooked Lars and led to his escape from the medical station. This man was described as an employee of the airline that Lars was using to fly home to Germany and was actually looking for Lars at that moment. The next statement Costau gave mentioned an airport laborer walking into the examination room, not an airline employee. Finally, in the third claim, Costau told investigators that he did not know who the intruder was and that he did not recognize him as either an airline employee or a separate worker. When investigators attempted to locate this man from the third statement, they were introduced to a man who was said to have been this mysterious figure. However, after exhaustive facts checking, it was learned by police that this man wasn't even in Bulgaria the day Lars disappeared only clouding the entire airport predicament. Not only this, but there are holes in Dr. Costau's first two statements as well. Lars visited the airport medical site at around 9 a.m., but his flight wasn't scheduled until 4.20, and there were no travel alerts associated with that specific flight. So why would an airline representative be looking for a passenger so early? And how would they know Lars was with the doctor or the fact that he was even at the airport so early in the first place. Similarly, if the intruder wasn't an airline employee, but rather a maintenance worker or other laborer for the airport, why would they just walk into an examination room unannounced? That would be a pretty large breach of privacy and very abnormal. If it was true, if someone did barge into the doctor's office while Lars was getting checked on, it's not out of the question that being in a vulnerable state of mind, Lars panicked and ran out, thinking this intruder was out to get him. However, not even that scenario lines up with official reports. Remember, when Sandra called the honorary consulate, they told her that Lars had asked to use the restroom and Dr. Costau gave him permission, believing that Lars would return and collect his luggage. So in this scenario, there was no third man and Lars didn't make a run for it until he was out of the office. Who is telling the truth? Was Dr. Costau really involved? Authorities have ruled him out as a suspect and there doesn't seem to be any motive for him wanting Lars out of the story anyway. It just doesn't make sense as to why he would lie. Could it be an honest mistake? Absolutely but that would be four separate misspoken testimonies, and that does lead one to see Dr. Costau in a suspicious light. Was he paid off to change his story? 
Well, it is unlikely, but plausible. Regardless, we'll never have definitive proof of exactly what happened in that examination room, as airport CCTV cameras do not capture the entrance to the office space, making it a blind spot. Without a doubt, the most popular theories surrounding Lars Mittank's unsolved disappearance revolve around the idea that Lars suffered from an unfortunately timed mental health crisis or similar psychological break. Some people are quick to blame the medicine prescribed to Lars by the physician on July 7th, just after Lars checked out of Hotel Viva with his friends. The medicine in question, Cefprozil, while a popular antibiotic in Bulgaria, is not as widely spread a drug in Germany. While it's highly effective against ear and other bodily infections, German health officials are wary of its possible side effects, including, but not limited to, hallucinations and potential drug-induced psychosis. It should be mentioned that these type of side effects are extraordinarily rare, basically never happening at all. But experts have warned that Cefprozil, taken with other substances, such as alcohol, can exacerbate the drug's various ill-fated effects. It is a known fact that Lars was drinking alcohol with his friends on the vacation prior to receiving the Cefprozil, and it is possible he was taking other pills too, prescription nor recreational. Thus, Lars could have suffered a reaction to the Cefprozil, the alcohol, or other drugs, and fallen victim to the drug's powerful side effects. It is also important to recognize that Lars's dosage of Cefprozil, 500 milligrams, was higher than most prescriptions of the same type, and could also have played a role in creating a stronger reaction to the negative aspects of the antibiotic. Not only that, but it seems as if Lars himself was wary of the drug the night in which his paranoia began. He sent two texts to his mother, Sandra, asking her what, quote, Cefzil 500 was, maybe as a reaction to feeling the strong antibiotics affecting him in an unsettling way. Not only that, but these side effects, in combination with being alone in a foreign country and after experiencing a potentially traumatic event at the hands of the Bulgarians, could have tipped the scales and left Lars to deal with new anxieties, panic, and hallucinations without the appropriate care to handle him. Spinning off this theory are questions of Lars's mental health in general and potential risk of developing schizophrenia. Lars's age at the time puts him right on the point of the demographic who are most likely to see an onset of schizophrenia prior to age 30. His symptoms also line up with those often seen in schizophrenia patients who are early on in their diagnosis, such as the feelings of being followed, losing control, imminent death, and of course, hearing voices, seeing things that aren't there, and physical sensations that do not exist. Everything Lars had dealt with leading up to that moment could have triggered his own psychosis, and thus left him afraid and paranoid. It should be stated, however, that no one in the Mittank family has ever displayed a history of schizophrenia, nor was Lars considered at risk by medical professionals back home. Lars did have somewhat a stressful life, with his demanding job and his father's ailing health not helping matters. But again, there were no warning signs or previous diagnoses that affirm the speculation that Lars was dealing with the onset of schizophrenia. So, if it wasn't a mental disorder, 
Could Lars have been dealing with a deeper physical issue than just a ruptured eardrum? Some theories detail a much more complex problem, figuring Lars to be suffering from repeated brain aneurysms, leading to retrograde amnesia and the inability to create new memories. This may explain why Lars seemed confused and at odds with everyone around him. He may have continually forgotten why he was where he was. This alone would spin anyone through cycles of emotional and psychological distress, potentially unlocking further panic and unrelenting terror. While a more severe brain injury is certainly in the cards, remember that Lars had been checked by three separate medical professionals, all of whom told him he was only suffering from the eardrum rupture. Maybe Lars was convinced there was something worse happening inside of his head, developing symptoms of hypochondria, and when the doctors continued to tell him no, he lashed out and ran away. Maybe this is why Lars had that awkward encounter with the ENT specialist at St. Anna's, and while he ran away from Dr. Costau, cause he believed he was dying, but was being told he wasn't. Of course, this may have been an issue in of itself, and not necessarily the effects of a traumatic brain injury, but it would explain the bouts of confusion. Also, it should be stated that Lars was lucid enough to call his mother multiple times, engage in conversation with others, navigate complicated bank transfers and credit card functions, and travel around Europe. So whatever he was dealing with, it wasn't 100% debilitating. If Lars was totally incapacitated, he wouldn't have slipped through the cracks so seamlessly. Despite the countless abnormalities surrounding Lars's case, there is still hope he is alive. While the summers in Varna, Bulgaria can get incredibly hot, Lars was an experienced outdoorsman and theoretically could have survived the elements. The fact he ran off without his belongings, his wallet, cell phone, and any other necessities do not increase his chances of survival, but certainly don't guarantee death. Like all major missing persons cases, there have been countless sightings of Lars made by the general public in the seven years since he vanished into the sunflower fields around Varna Airport. One truck driver saw a man eerily similar to Lars's physical description hitchhiking along a Varna highway about a year after he went missing. Another sighting alleged Lars was living as a homeless man in Poland, while one person posted their supposed meetup with Lars in Canada on Reddit three years ago. While none of them have been confirmed, there was one testimony that led investigators to believe they had actually found Lars. In December of 2016, authorities in Porto Velho, Brazil, discovered a homeless man bearing a very strong likeness to Lars walking along a highway. The man was barefoot, disoriented, and disheveled. When police asked who he was, he was unable to remember where he came from or even what his own name was. He carried no identification and was confused as to how he got there. Law enforcement took him to a nearby hotel and a photo of the man sleeping circulated around the internet. Like police, people believed this man was Lars Mitank, thinking it was him hiding behind the massive beard and matted hair. Ultimately, Authorities discovered this man was in fact not Lars, but another missing man, a Canadian humanitarian worker named Anton Pilipa, who had disappeared in 2011. While it didn't end up solving Lars's mystery, it did give hope to the fact that finding Lars alive and breathing is not out of the question. He'd probably be found in a similar state to Anton, 
confused and unaware of his situation. It's also proof that no matter how long we go between someone's disappearance and discovery, we cannot give up hope, because unless evidence proves otherwise, they could still be out there, alive and desperate to return home. Before we divulge our hypothesis, we want to make it known that our conclusions presented in Cold Case Detective are purely logical speculation based on evidence, circumstance, and factual subtext. We are only privy to the same information presented in each episode, and we do not attempt to promise certainty or an expert guarantee on the findings we reach in closing. We simply observe, research, and report. In the case of Lars Mittank's unsolved disappearance, we believe there is not just one single reason to blame, but rather a collection of ideas pulled from the popular theories we've just discussed. First and foremost, the chance that Lars went into the vacation with already accumulating stress is higher than what a lot of people think. You have to remember that Lars spent the last year and a half commuting between work and his hometown on the weekends to help his mother take care of his father. This, combined with balancing a relationship and the pressure of operating a power plant, could have created a bubbling foundation of untapped anxiety. He was only 28 years old and took on a lot of extra challenges at such a young age, all while maintaining a sense of normalcy to his friends and family. This anxiety only worsened on July 4th, when Lars was attacked on his way home from the bar, in the middle of the night, in a country foreign to him. While he managed to survive and continue on with the vacation as if everything was normal, this facade only forced the building stress and anxiety deeper. Then, when his eardrum caused enough pain to force him to stay behind in Varna, as his friends all flew back home to Germany, he was suddenly isolated and alone, again, in a place he wasn't used to. An event like that in itself is incredibly stressful, so when you compound that with unchecked anxiety and a traumatic incident only a few days before, a break in mental well-being is not surprising. The volcano of anxiety and panic burst at the seams when Lars attempted to go home via foreign health insurance but was hit with a snag and unable to drive home right away. Plus, with the communication struggles with medical experts and having to stay in a shadowy section of Varna, it's no wonder Lars began to experience elongated periods of panic and paranoia. It is well known that the walls at the Hotel Color are incredibly thin, and everyone can hear everything from their rooms. Lars was probably hearing muffled conversations and never-ending noise, causing him to believe he was being recorded, or that other people were listening to him, too. It's an unbelievably chaotic situation, and would only make someone susceptible to a panic attack feel even worse. Once the panic and paranoia set in, and without the proper mental health parameters or resources to help ease his anxiety, Lars was simply out of options and reacted out of ballooning fear. We do not think he was being followed by gangsters or hunted by the Bulgarian government, but rather was running from his own anxieties, struggling to accept his foreign situation. The Sefprozil tablets would not have made things better either. There were only three tablets missing from the prescription, meaning that he couldn't have taken that many pills, so we don't believe they were the root cause of the problem. However, their side effects could have been exacerbated by the alcohol he had consumed that night in Hotel Color, 
and if he did receive a mild brain injury, that would almost certainly only worsen the anxiety attacks and paranoia. What happened to Lars after he ran out of the hotel isn't discernible, but we do want to say that while the events at the Varna terminal are bizarre, we don't believe there was any foul play. Dr. Costao's ever-changing story is frustrating, but it could just be the byproduct of a bizarre investigation and intense circumstances. It is unfortunate that we don't have access to the entire CCTV tapes, and that the doctor's office entrance was a blind spot for the cameras, but whatever happened inside was likely a result of Lars's worsening psychological condition, and whoever that intruding third person was probably wasn't out to get Lars. Despite not knowing exactly what occurred there, we are all in agreement with Lars's mother, Sandra. There is still a very reasonable chance that Lars is still alive. While he may be scared or fearful or forgetful of his previous life, there is no proof that he is dead, and hope must linger if we are to bring him home safe and sound. Until that day arrives, it's important to highlight the fact that Lars Mittank was and is a human being above all else. Yes, the CCTV footage from the airport that fateful July morning has made its rounds on the internet and led to Lars being named the most famous missing person on YouTube, but it's important not to glorify these images and mystify what is a tragic case of someone suffering a mental breakdown. Lars was dealing with some of the most stressful and terrifying factors one can encounter on what was supposed to be a relaxing vacation. He had thoughts and feelings and dreams like the rest of us, and should always be thought of with respect. The videos of Lars running away can be a tool to help aid his discovery, but they shouldn't be the only story. The story that remains is that Lars Mittank was a compassionate, empathetic, and hardworking man. He gave so much to the people around him without ever expecting anything in return, and in response, we will give the same effort to finding Lars, to spread the word so that one day he might return and carry on his legacy of potential and love. This is Cold Case Detective. And there you have the facts. I'd like to give a very special shout out to our chief detective patrons, Tilly Milner, Carrie Reitman, Carolyn Simmons-Croft, Katerina Faustoff, Daniel Halfstone, Jennifer Babcock, Nick M, Miranda Mack, and Anthony Lesh, along with all of our Patreon supporters for making this series possible. If you'd like to support us for as little as $2 a month, you can do so by checking out our Patreon by following the link below. Thank you for watching. Stay alert, stay safe, and I'll see you next time.